Uh, it says you still need to give me permission. Okay, so never mind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you never know. Zoom is like the only software in the world that works completely differently every time you use it. <laughs> every single time without fail. I disagree, Gary. I disagree, Gary. Welcome back to Pulp Friction. It's a show about what divides us. I'm your host with the most. You can call me Rocky. We have an excellent guest on the show today. Now, Sam, you are the third person named Sam to be a guest on the show. Very fun. And thus, thus far, every episode that has been titled, you know, featuring Sam, it's been referring to a different person. So we're setting an interesting precedent here. I might go back and just be like, you're Sam W. And it's, you know, just, just get a little something there, a little <laughs> kindergarten, you know. Um, how are you doing? <laughs> um, I am doing great. I'm living in a post-season three of Succession premiere world. Um, this is all here I ever hoped for. So, you know, I'm flying high. Absolutely. Absolutely. We are talking about the season three premiere of Succession. Um, I prepared some pretty strong notes on the the development of the series. And I also prepared notes on just like the just, you know, where the narrative has gone so far. But I kind of feel like, you know, anyone who's watching anyone who's listening to this has probably watched Succession <laughs> or even if they had probably doesn't want to hear us just go through the story so far so i think if we just talk about the episode and things will come up and it'll be it'll be cool because we we are you know this is an all spoiler zone and i'm not someone who generally um is put off by spoilers but even i i think if i had not watched this episode yet and we're we're gonna be you know getting into it as much as we will i think i i think i would probably avoid it so yeah real fans only but uh let's see before we get into that we do have our our breaking news segment and i could devote a little bit of yeah sure so this is our breaking news segment it's uh called dun 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 dun, dun what's pulpin and uh the there's not too much to talk about this weekend um i did see the new hit film that uh america's loving uh needle in a time stack <laughs> and uh i prepared some extensive thoughts on that on this this same sub stack where this episode is you should be able to find it i'm uh, pretty proud of that review but i would say Very just good. just just generally uh it's it's not very good um the thing that i really liked about it it spends a lot of time you know within its world and within its characters like building their relationships to each other and you know everything feels very kind of lived in in an interesting way but then because it does this time travel thing and you expect it to do it in a way the way that it's set up is like you know when these shifts happen for the first couple hours you can kind of remember things from the past and there's this service that like tries to store memories and it doesn't always work but they get something and like you kind of expect that it's going to be sort of a race against the clock mm -hmm. like before they forget each other but then instead it just sort of lets them forget each other awesome. and <laughs> And they, you know, they, they, they do come together at the end. It's in a really disappointing way, but um, 
I just generally I felt that like they spend like 30, 45 minutes in this in this opening sequence of just their relationship and everything that's going on in that world. And then none of that happened. I think the thing that I'm most impressed by with this movie is how badly it seems to blow its premise um, from your review and also just from the trailer. Like, I don't think I've ever seen a trailer where the name reveal so completely screws up the entire <laughs> approach. Yeah, it's such a like... It, it, it's so like careful and um you know kind of what's the word i was thinking of whatever it, it, it's very careful in its approach and it's very sort of heartfelt and it just like you know they, they called it needle in a time stack, needle in a time stack. <laughs> uh other than that i don't know dc fandoms this weekend there were a bunch of uh, trailers that came out from that uh the Batman trailer. The thing is, I'm I'm in for that Batman movie just because it's it's Matt Reeves and like and Robert Pattinson too. Mm-hmm. But just like you know, I'm fine on that. Everything that I've seen so far, I've been like, okay, <laughs> you know, I've been like like, you know, it, it, they they've been doing this thing with each successive Batman series for a while, where it's like it has to be darker, it has to be more adult and more political, and it's just you know moving in this extreme direction where like. There's something inherently silly about Batman. And the more the more you try to like play against that, the more you're going to lose. I felt like there were moments in the Dark Knight trilogy where they kind of struck a good balance mm-hmm. of like, you know, it's very pretty and very like high budget and, you know, melodramatic and political, but then also is aware of of how inherently silly like the world is. And um of of course I think Tim Burton did that very well. But I also think Getting into the topic at hand here, that uh, Succession sets a pretty good blueprint for, you know, high drama and uh, it's set in a very silly world. And um, I I guess before we, like I said, I have a little bit of just sort of background on the show that I I prepared notes on. But just before that, um, we could start with your history with the show, you know, how you came into it, what, you know, what your experience has been. Yeah, um, I first watched Succession right like around when season two was airing um like I think I watched the first two seasons and then I think I watched like the finale live um of -hmm. season two uh and you know I think there was like a lot of hype building around this show at that point um so I'm not gonna say I was an early adopter uh but I think talking to a lot of people I've known uh, this week who are watching it. Um, I think a lot of people hopped onto it during quarantine and stuff. Uh, I've been in the trenches for a while. I'm obsessed with Mm -hmm. succession. (laughs) Um, It's been really interesting watching the fan cultures evolve uh, over the last two years, especially over quarantine. Um, But yeah, I adore it. And I've adored that show for a long time now. Very nice. Very nice. I um, it's difficult to get me to watch a TV show. Uh, I found it's just like there there are very specific uh, parameters that I have. And, you know, when it comes to movies, especially in theaters, I'll watch anything. But Mm -hmm. um, with TV, you know, I'm like, it has to be funny and I have to be in the right mood for it. And sometimes something will just fit all the criteria and I'll start watching and I'll be like, I don't want to watch this. (laughs) Yep. Um, With Succession, it was something that I was definitely aware of for a long time. I was probably aware of it, starting to be aware of it when the first season was airing. And it was just like, okay, here's this show that you know adam mckay is involved in and that you know has has this cast with like kieran culkin and uh, jeremy strong and matthew mcfadden and all the, the, the this weird sort of grouping of people and it was like 
And yeah, you know, you just hear the buzz kind of continue to build for such a long time. And I was starting to see a lot of like, it's really kicked into full swing now because it's like the show now, you know, it's between, I think, late to the end of the last season and this season, it's really like, it's become, you know, this is the Game of Thrones. This is the, you know, Breaking Bad, whatever. This is the show that everyone's talking about. Um, And I started watching it about two, three months ago. Uh, it was I was home for the summer and I would talk to my brother at the you know Shabbat table and uh, every week he'd be like you should watch Succession and I was like okay fine I'll do it and um, I was interested in it right away I felt that season two was a lot stronger than season one yes. in terms of uh, in terms of you know getting getting me hooked on it, it I um yeah, I like it a lot. And uh, I've definitely found it, it it's very enjoyable. Like now that I'm watching it as it's airing, I feel like I'm getting more of the fun of it in terms of just like, you know, the, the intrigue and like what's going to happen next. Yes, I would definitely agree with that. I think watching it as it airs adds such an element to it. And I'm really glad that HBO decided to not just drop the whole thing at once. Because um, yeah. I think it works a lot better as a weekly show. Absolutely. So I have these uh, the, the, this little history that we'll get into here about uh, how Succession came to be, because that's something that I think a lot of people are in the dark about. I found it kind of difficult. I had to, you know, jump around to a couple sources to really to really find, you know, how it all came together. But um, Jesse Armstrong and Sam Bain are a comedic writing duo that first came to prominence working on British sketch shows in the early 2000s. Most famously, they're the creators and writers of the long-running sitcom Peep Show. And they've since collaborated on a number of other projects, including the Danny Boyle series Babylon and the 2010 comedy Four Lions, which is very good. Uh, <laughs> off the back of Peep Show, Armstrong became a writer for The Thick of It and the movie In the Loop. Uh, he also wrote one episode of Veep. And uh, in addition to that, he wrote the 2019 film The Day Shall Come, which is also very good, and the Black Mirror episode The Entire History of You, which was which aired and was a big success and was quickly swept up by Robert Downey Jr. for a film adaptation that has not been produced. That's it. In 2010, uh, Armstrong began to receive attention for his unreleased screenplay, Murdoch, which was featured on the Blacklist that year. Other notable entries on that list from that year are Crazy Stupid Love, Abduction, Oz the Great and Powerful, Apollo 18, Looper, Fun Size, The Butler, What Happened to Monday, Hunger Games, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, Gangster Squad, Snow White and the Huntsman, Gold, Chronicle, Argo, American Hustle, Stoker, Safe House, and Jackie. That is a fantastic list. (laughs) It's quite a list, a, a real variety yeah. of like, <laughs> you think about when these things came out. The fact that Jackie is on there, yeah. with like Oz the Great and Powerful, yeah. Um, and the description as it was, as the script was featured on the list is, as his family gathers for his birthday party, Rupert Murdoch tries to convince his elder children to alter the family trust so that his two youngest children by his newest wife will have voting rights in the company. Oh, okay. I see. I see. It's see where it's gone. Yeah. In the wake of the 2011 News Corp phone hacking scandal, it was rumored that Channel 4 was producing a drama series based on this script, but Armstrong denied it. And as Armstrong, you know, continued to expand this script, he looked beyond entertainment to the broader Wall Street landscape, mixed in elements of other dynasties, the Redstones, the Malones, the Salzburgers. One person who became interested in the script after seeing it on the blacklist was New York Times columnist and HBO executive Frank Rich. He and Armstrong met while they were working on the season one finale of Veep, and Rich suggested Armstrong to HBO for a project called The Imperialists, which was about two 20-something American bros who opened a coffee plantation in Africa. 
Um, Anchorman director Adam McKay also became interested in that project, but after several years of development, it fizzled out as McKay turned to focus on the big short. And meanwhile, Armstrong was studying up on media moguls, observing shifts in the media climate. In 2015, he came out with a new TV script called Immediate Family. That script is essentially what the pilot for the show was, right down to specific scenes like Tom asking Greg to kiss him and Roman offering to get a million dollars at home run. The script caught the attention of Casey Bloys, the newly crowned head of programming at HBO. The quote from Bloys in the Hollywood Reporter article I'm pulling from says, I really want to do a modern, I really wanted to do a modern day family show. And just quickly, I I think that really speaks to the intricacies of the executive brain. Just, you know, looking at the script for succession and being like, it's about a family in the present day. I'm so... (laughs) Yeah, like, that's your takeaway from it is kind of... Like, I guess there is a family. Sure. (laughs) It's... That's how executives work, though, is they just like, like I read, I heard something about uh, the movie Four Brothers, where the way that that, you know, process started was a a producer being like, I want to make a movie about brothers. (laughs) That was it. Just incredible. (laughs) So Adam McKay immediately got on board after reading the script and the title was changed to Succession shortly thereafter. McKay, Armstrong, and casting director Francine Maisler started to make wish lists of their ideal picks for the characters. Brian Cox as Logan was on everyone's list, so he quickly got the part. Alan Ruck almost blew off his audition for Connor. Um, at the at the insistence of his agent, he showed up at McKay's house last minute, improvised a scene, and was hired on the spot. Uh, Kieran Culkin was brought in to audition for Greg, and he almost uh, skipped out because he didn't want to play Greg. Uh, but he, what he ended up doing was he recorded an audition for Roman from his apartment in New York and sent it out to L.A. to uh, Adam McKay. And, you know, like like no one does that. <laughs> but but McKay and Maisler were so blown away by the performance in it that they gave him the part. Uh, Jeremy Strong had worked with McKay on The Big Short and had to compete for the role against other actors, but ultimately got it. And one of the last piece, one of the last actors to be cast, I don't know what the story was, but it was just one of the last ones, was Matthew McFadden as Tom. The series was picked up by HBO in June of 2016 with Will Ferrell also on board as a producer. The cast was announced in October and the full team met in New York for the first table read on November 8th, 2016, Election Day. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. That explains a lot. <laughs> it, it sure does. They um, the, the read was during the day, but then they all went to Adam McKay's house afterwards and, you know, marinated in that entire evening. <laughs> Yeah. This is the first time the entire cast got together. In May of 2017, the show was picked up for a full 10-episode season, which began shooting in October, and the first episode of Succession had 582,000 live viewers, down from the 1.39 million viewers who tuned in for the Westworld episode that had went before, but the season one finale... Drew 997,000 views and streams. The season two finale had an audience of 1.1 million. I don't believe the figures are in yet for what this episode saw, but, um, oh, series high. Yeah, 1.4 million. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. So there you go. It continues to climb is uh, the end of that. And yeah, that's that's my history. Very interesting. I didn't know most of that. That explains a lot of, I think, the show's mechanics. Yeah, there you go. You know, for for the longest time, I was like, I was just like, how did Will Ferrell and Adam McKay get involved in this? And, yeah, and I really like, even as I was researching it, and I was looking at like Wikipedia and all the like, you know, stories of how it, it took a while for me to figure that out. I really had to had to do some digging for it. Um, 
I didn't say much about Will Ferrell, but he just kind of, you know, friends with Adam McKay and he liked the script and yeah, he got on board. I have to assume that Will Ferrell doesn't 100% understand what's going on with the show. Like, I wouldn't imagine he's super involved. Maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? Who's to say? Who's to say? I mean, you know, certainly Adam McKay is involved, but yeah, uh, yeah let's uh, let's get into the episode. All right. Uh, where do you want to start? I mean, we can we can kind of, you know, I figure we can take it, uh, you know, piece by piece, really build out everything that happens here. I've, I've taken notes on the whole, you know, plot and we can sort of, you know, go through it and then jump around to give our, our overall thoughts. But uh, we open on um, helicopters carrying Logan and, you know, other people, we only see Logan, they're carrying him through the mountains. We sort of get this parallel image of him and Kendall kind of assessing the situation of uh, the end of the last season, which was, um, you know, Kendall was supposed to take the fall for the uh, cruise ship scandal. And instead he uh, implicated Logan and yeah, he went rogue. And that, that, that's, sort of, that's sort of where this, uh, this episode begins. What was your, what was your reaction uh, to the end of the last season? Uh, the end of season two, it's, I ended up re-watching that episode a couple times this week um, with people who had never seen it before. And I it reminded me when I first saw that, that is like kind, I mean, like it's like the biggest moment of that entire season when Kendall makes that choice because like he's been so beaten down into just yeah. nothing <laughs> for that entire season. Like just like, I think someone describes him as like a Muppet being getting getting fingered by his dad. Like just completely no control whatsoever. And like to watch him do that and like the moment when he says like, but, and then changes. And like, I think it's just one of the most well-crafted season finales I've seen in years. Like I think like mm-hmm. the music, the editing, all of it just creates this like great sense of anticipation and like so much goes unsaid uh, in like his decision-making process in a way that I think is fantastic. And I think like, I, I, I just think it's a phenomenal ending and like really leaves viewers like so excited to see what happens, especially with like a two year gap between seasons. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting because in a way it's sort of playing the same game that that the whole series has been about, which is like, you know, Ken kind of uh, working kind of behind the scenes, figuring out these different ways to try to to try to sabotage uh, Logan. And it's also it, in a way, it feels like that's like the first move of the whole show. And now the game starts. Yes, yes, that is such a good way to describe it. Up to this point, it's been about the the struggle for the the, the, the struggle for that power and just all of them kind of working together for 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 or working against each other against to to to, to gain that seat of power. And now there are two centers of power. And that really comes out, and I think it's pretty well uh, portrayed in just the way that we get that that parallel thing right at the beginning and throughout the episode. But um, now it's like everyone has to make this decision about about n- not just trying to be the successor, but also should I jump ship? You know, is is Ken the right the right place to go if I want to um, you know get that power? Yes. Yeah. I think this, I think like there was never necessarily a decision being made before this point. Um, because like, even with all the stuff about like, oh, who's going to take over, you know, and when Shiv gets brought in as a possibility in season two, like there's tension and there's division, but there's never necessarily, there's never, there's always one camp 
Um, like even when mm-hmm. Sandy and Stewie are there and like even when Kendall is considering going to them, he's still like at the wedding and he's still at these family events. Whereas like this is drawing a very clear interpersonal line, but also like a legal line of like having to make these like very specific decisions um, in a way that is really interesting. And I'm very excited to see where it goes uh, this season. Yes. We have Logan kind of looking pensively out the window and we have Kendall doing breathing exercises in uh, in the bathroom mirror. <laughs> when he was holding his hands down at his side and making those like little breathing noises, I for half a second was like, is he going to blast off into space like a rocket ship? <laughs> oh man, that, <laughs> that would be great. It'd be a different show, but it'd be great. And then, yeah, we've got, uh, let's see, we've got Ken with Greg and Carolina in the hotel room, and he's, you know, locked himself in the bathroom, sinking into the tub. Good stuff. I see it's so good. He's doing great, yeah. And um, and the rest of the gang is at an airfield in Croatia. Not clear on where they're going next. Derry says uh, either New York or Geneva or London or Singapore or L.A., I feel like that's an interesting, and this is going to come back throughout the episode, but, you know, the fact that they're kind of stranded at the beginning and they have to sort of start from scratch. And even after that, it's like, um, it's another parallel, though, that comes up where uh, Ken wants to go to the Waystar building and they've, you know, taken away his access. And then, uh, you know, Logan has these ideas of going to, you know, somewhere corporate somewhere where they have a a station and then he's like well i might get extradited so i have to go to like sarajevo yeah it did you i forget who published it but there was that great profile of jesse armstrong like about a month ago did you read that uh i'm not sure if i did i i will have to i have it somewhere on my phone so i'll look up who wrote it but um there's like this great line in it when he's talking about how he's always trying to place them in really uncomfortable physical places um like there's that moment at the end of season two when Logan is like on the phone with the shareholder and he's at like the shittiest little like roadside gas station coffee shop. Um, and like so much of this episode reminded me of that where like you have like the most powerful rich people in the world and they're staying at like some terrible airport adjacent hotel in Croatia in this like weird <laughs> sports bar where like Logan says they can't eat food because he's worried it'll give them food poisoning. And like, it's just right. such a great mechanic to put them in these places. Yeah. I honestly love all the moments where they're just like wandering around in an airfield. Too. <laughs> it's so good. It's like, it's like, we're working on getting a plane and like when they, when they get in a van and like Connor and Will have to get in a different van. <laughs> And there's a lot, yeah. of, a lot of great. And like Carl isn't even in the van because he's gone off. Carl's to get the sandwich. Which is so funny. It never comes up again. It never like he's there that every time we see him. So I guess we figured it out. Yeah, he just got a quick bite. It's fine. Yeah. And we don't see the sandwich either. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I, at the watch party I was at, someone was, like, convinced that, like, he was secretly taking a call from Kendall, and we're gonna find out, like, seven episodes later that, like, it wasn't about a sandwich. It could be. I mean, that's that's something that comes up in this episode, too, where uh, we see two of the calls to, from mm-hmm. Kendall. We see that he calls, um, I mean, first of all, he calls Logan, but he calls uh, Frank and Shiv. But uh, there's a moment where Shiv asks Tom if he got a call from Kendall, yes. and he's, he's, he's kind of, like, he doesn't seem like uh, he wants to actually answer it, but um, 
yeah it, 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 that's an element to be thought about is that you know he was in that car just calling everyone and so like maybe he called everyone i don't know or maybe he yeah. only called the people who he really wants and it would like like frank and shiv you know they're 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 really mm-hmm. uh part of it he did we do know he called jerry but jerry didn't pick up at least at right yeah because she was because she was on the phone with the, yeah. the first lady yeah yeah very interesting <laughs> but um we learned secondhand that logan is freaking out and he's hiring and firing people talking about his mom i like I-, I like those little moments where like the the inner circle talks about how logan is like going crazy and we never actually see that we did <laughs> yes! like as as soon as we see him he knows exactly what he's doing but like we, we always hear these stories secondhand about him it's really good um comedic effect i mean like it's a good dramatic effect as well but i think to like have him seeming completely composed walking off this airfield and then you just have jerry being like yeah i have no fucking clue what he's talking about <laughs> so good let's see there's the there's the line where uh where, where roman's like dad you want me to ride with you and he says you want to suck my dick <laughs> first line that he says all season is do you want to suck my dick to his son <laughs> <laughs> like like and, and and he and he you know roman's response is uh is what he said to his son as a sexual assault allegations poured in there were like as soon as he said that there's a lot of things that logan says in this episode that's like man he shouldn't be saying that <laughs> someone pointed out to me last night they're like wow they said cunt twice in the first episode they're really using their language budget yeah well it's hbo it's hbo so uh back at the hotel greg asks ken if he's okay threatens to break the door down (laughs) he probably can't he's like i'm gonna break the door down and i don't really want i mean i don't i don't know if i can (laughs) this episode was really good at reminding everyone that greg is such a colossal idiot like in case you forgot in case you like thought about him as like maybe machiavellian don't worry he has no clue what he's doing ever well, we'll talk about it. I, I have some theories, but um, I also really like how we sort of see Ken do the Logan thing for the first time, too, where, like, we see him in the bathroom freaking out, and then he walks out, and he's like, okay, let's do this. <laughs> yeah, that was a great, that, that was a great way, I feel, for 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 Ken to walk into the mm-hmm. season, too. Yeah, I didn't think about it that way, but that's really, you're correct there. That's He is doing the Logan thing. That's fascinating. So um, he's got a plan. He, uh, his plan includes going to Waystar and, you know, talking to all the talking to all the people, sowing the seeds for, you know, a takeover, talking to the feds. And uh, they go out and uh, the press is swarming them and Greg's, you know, shouting no comment over and over. <laughs> that little bit where Caroline is like, you don't have to say no comment. You just don't comment is she needs to get her awards for her comedic timing because that is so good. It's really good. It's, and, and then he stops, but then as he's getting to the car, he says no <laughs> comment. <laughs> but uh, they get in the car, and then Carolina is like, uh, and then Carolina's like, this is a company car, and they have that sort of uh, tense interaction, and then uh, Ken kicks her out of the car, yeah. <laughs> which uh, was interesting. I like that. That scene... I think is really like I was really struck by that scene both times I've seen this episode now because like Kendall doesn't even conceptualize of the fact that like he doesn't have access to these resources anymore because like the company has always been the family like he's never even when he hasn't been working for the company he's been in company cars he's been able to go to Waystar and stuff and like he didn't he seems like completely unaware of 
the scale of the decision he's just made um because like he's yeah. shocked that they won't let him into the waystar building and it's like of course not you had stolen documents like you're fired essentially um and it was it was really striking watching him have that realization in real time and like having to like have carolina and jess kind of explain it to him i was reading um an interview with uh with a bunch of people from the cast and they talked about how um they consulted with rich people about how people who've been rich their whole lives would behave and one of the things they told them was you wouldn't duck getting out of a helicopter because you're you're used to getting out of of a helicopter so you just walk straight out and um you know i i I think that's that, that that's sort of a thing that that comes up there too is just like you know just having access to those to those privileges your entire life and like once one you know like once you don't have them what does that mean and he you know he clearly doesn't have a sense of that but also he hasn't been fired you know the 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 sense in which he's part of the company is kind of ambiguous right now which is crazy yes it's it's the thing where it's like he hasn't been fired because it's been about like 10 minutes but he also hasn't thought about the possibility that he would get fired at the same time absolutely and and then greg sticks around in the car and uh you know i i was thinking about this this thing that you know has been pointed out in previous seasons where you know greg seems to not know what he's doing but he always ends up in the right position and uh i you know what i thought about here is first of all that uh carolina asks him if he knew what ken was gonna do and he says no in this like in this like stilted greg kind of way but also like he had the documents so there's a sense that (laughs) right (laughs) and then also just you think about the whole thing with uh ewan and his inheritance the last season Mm -hmm. like it definitely like he's definitely making a savvy move by by being on ken's side in this yeah it's it's funny because like you know like it is i think you're right he's like making a very savvy and very calculated move and i think there's like some level of emotion behind it where like ken has helped him out and he feels like some sort of tie to him but it's also very much like greg was the greg sprinkles were in the conversation in terms of who was going to get uh hung out to dry and go to jail in this and i think like he's very specifically as you're saying placing him in himself in the right place i think he's great at the larger plan he's very bad at the day-to-day mechanisms of it absolutely (laughs) (laughs) the thing that i'm uh thinking about i like this like i said i like this sort of separating of of the powers i like the idea they'll be intermingling with each other i'm wondering if tom and greg are going to talk this season and if so how and what's going to happen with that this is the that is on everyone's mind is what's gonna happen with tom and greg this season i'm afraid personally a little bit yeah i mean certainly certainly everyone in the show is aware of like the chemistry that they have and and you know how excited people are about them um but character wise like tom you know is sort of opportunistically involved with greg Mm -hmm. and he you know he he doesn't talk to him just because I mean, I mean, so far from what we know, he doesn't talk to him just because like he he likes to hang out with him. <laughs> so, the you know, there's a sense that if if Tom is if Tom is really in that uh, that Logan circle, and of course Greg is the the right hand man for Kendall right now, which is when did that happen? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <It's> ridiculous. <laughs> but, 
but I, I, I think my thought is they're probably not going to see each other for most of the mm-hmm. season. And then when they do, it'll be a really big scene. Are we, can we talk about Tom and Shiv? Cause I think that might, or do you want to wait and talk about the stuff that kind of comes in between? I think, it, I think it's uh, not that long until that comes up. Okay. So we can uh, probably get through the rest of this stuff first, okay. um, but we have been jumping around a little. Uh, let's see. So Shiv and Roman have the, have a, a conversation about uh, what they're thinking. Shiv says that they need to back Logan, but Shiv also says he might be fucked. Yep. Uh, <laughs> you know that, that that that's another interesting thing about the, uh, the 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 power balance that comes up throughout this episode is we see Carl and Frank on the plane talking about whether or not Logan has this, mm-hmm. and you know they go, they they go through all the, all these you know past debacles, and it's like you know he's he's the comeback kid, but they um. there's a real sense that like things are really piling up and you know it feels like the like it's really not clear how he gets out of it and we'll come back to that later because it's you know conveyed in a really interesting way but yeah i i feel like the fact the, the way those conversations were staged and written i think is very uh important with how this season i think is going to go um because like i i think that level of honesty between people about the situation was something that like, I don't think we've seen it to that degree since Logan was like unconscious in the hospital in season one. Yeah. Um, Cause you know, there's like a lot of stuff in season two. Like I think the bore on the floor episode is a really good example where like, they're kind of having these conversations, but like we as the viewer are only catching the tail end of them because like, as soon as someone else walks in the room, like if it's like Tom or Shiv or whatever, everyone's like, hey, so we're thinking maybe that this might possibly be an issue. Whereas like in this, like like you've said, like the Frank and Carl scene was like very much like, first off, they're bringing up a lot of stuff that like we as the viewer didn't know about, but they were like being very frank and like doing this math in front of Tom um, and like only one- In front of Logan in the other room. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like Logan is there. I'm like he can probably hear you, and they don't care because it's like that bad that like any veneer of politeness and like for the team has gone away. Yeah, and there's a certain extent to which uh, you know, you know, the Roman and Shiv dynamic is uh, you, you know, there's a lot of layers to that. But I think, but I, I think with that Carl and Frank conversation, we're seeing that inner circle I was talking about earlier, where they'll you know they'll tell us something secondhand about Logan that we don't see firsthand, but like. We're getting a peek at that and we'll get into it. But, you know, the fact that Tom is there is is interesting for an, a, lot, a lot of reasons. I have a lot of thoughts about Tom in this episode. So uh, Logan finally speaks up asking uh, the siblings if they knew what Kendall's plan was. Uh, you know, Roman starts kissing ass about how about how Ken about how Ken's, you know, insane. But but obviously Logan is on a completely different wavelength and he's like, get me my phone. I'm going to call him. Well, he doesn't say I'm going to call him, but he calls him in the next scene. Yeah. So, yeah. That scene um, was re- like real quick, just the way he asks for his phone, because um, it's like suddenly he's in old man mode. Like he's like mm-hmm. kind of like very slowly like, where is my phone? And like doesn't seem to be fully hearing it. It's always hard to tell Logan how much of that is played up. But I do yeah. wonder if they're bringing back some of like the issues with, um, I don't know if it was fully dementia in the first season, but like he had a lot of like, problems with his memory and his thinking and i wonder if that's coming back 
yeah, the, the, that is one issue that I had with the the sort of trajectory of the show so far is that like I feel like the first episode sets up in a really striking way that Logan is losing it. And that sort of disappears by the end of the season, I mm-hmm. feel like. So, so you know, I, I'd be interested to see how or if that comes back. How, you know, in the midst of all this, if he has another aneurysm, what, what that would mean. Like, there, there's a lot of ways it could go. Especially since Marsha is on is on Ken's side. That's not the that comes up yeah. later, but yeah. I, I need to find out more about where Marsha's at. Like, that has to be yeah. next episode. So uh, Ken's first move is lawyering up. I uh, suggest Lisa, Ar- Lisa Arthur asks Jess to seek out other names. He assigns Greg with taking his cultural temperature. Uh, so bad <laughs> at it. Really good. <laughs> You're trending above tater tots, Kendall. <laughs> the boat followed you. <laughs> That's such a good joke. It's really good. <laughs> But so yeah, uh, Logan calls and Ken and Logan have this fight through Jess, you know, saying to each other what they said. And Logan says he will grind up his bones to make his bread. Uh, flies off the handle because because you know uh, Ken's like I don't want to see you behind bars, even though we're on different sides. And Logan's like bullshit. It was a play. Uh, you know, don't don't uh, kiss my ass. And um, yeah, <laughs> you know, like 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 he's kind of right about that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. there you know i um I, I i mean ken is very much taking on that uh that that media you know shaking hands with everyone kind of role in a lot in you know a lot of ways in this episode while trying to overthrow the company <laughs> uh which i think is an interesting balance yes yeah i think i think the ways that ken is processing um the personal aspects as well as like, you know, the public appearance aspects of this whole thing is really interesting. Cause you know, like Logan, as you said, like, it's like, this is a play, like, come on, admit this is a play. And like, I think anyone who's watched this show knows like, yeah, it's slightly personal for Ken. Like he's going to get thrown off the board, but like it is in the larger scheme of things, a play for the um, title. But then like, you know, when he's calling Frank, um, like we brought up the calls that he's giving to everyone. He says like, I did it for you, Frank. And it's like, oh, okay. And then about 40 minutes later, he says the exact same thing to Rava. And it's like, I did this yeah. for you and the kids. And it's like, we have not seen Rava on screen in a season. Like, do not lie. And it just suddenly is like, okay, so you have no idea why you're doing this or like who yeah. you're for. Yeah, I love Rava's reaction to that too. She's like, yeah, but like. Yeah. <laughs> Completely not dealing with his bullshit. <laughs> Logan and crew sort of uh, huddle up and Jerry gets the first word in talking about announcing which lawyers are on the table and that they are complying with investigations. And then uh, Logan's like, do we comply? Roman jumps in and says, maybe we don't. And uh, the quote that he says about Kendall is chop him up into a million pieces and throw him into the Hudson. He suggests biding time until the election you know, getting their guy back in, new attorney general. Logan agrees that admitting wrongdoing is a bad play right now and opts to get the president on the phone. Uh, and, y- you know, he's like, we're going to fight this. And he's like, but gentle, okay? <laughs> Which I thought was pretty funny. Carl asks about food. And <laughs> that's what Logan says, no local food. Uh, if I get the shits, we're fucked. Great line. Perfect Logan Roy line. Yeah. It- <laughs> it's funny that, like... 
I don't know. I also just love that Carl comes in with that because, you know, he's like, we're going to get the president on the phone. We're going to, you know, like real strategizing shit. And then he's like, any other questions? And Carl says, can we get food? Carl is always my favorite in these stressful situations because, you know, when he was held hostage uh, by foreign government with Roman, his first response was, I think I'm having a panic attack. And it's like... Of course you are. There, there's something about Carl where he feels like someone who, you know, obviously everyone on this show is entrenched in this world, but he feels like he's entrenched in it to such an extent that like nothing matters to him. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. And he's one of those guys where he's not the CEO. Like whatever happens, he's going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, like even when he suggests himself as a possible interim CEO, he's immediately laughed off. Like, come on. Exactly. Uh, yeah, this is when Greg says you're the number one trending topic ahead of Tater Tots. Then the Pope followed you. <laughs> I, I, I don't think it's the Pope, it's a Pope. Uh, <laughs> great stuff. Nicholas Braun, king of all time. God, uh, God damn. He was really good in uh, Zola, too. Just while That's we're very good about in that. It. So Ken calls Frank. Let's him know that there's a place for him in his vision of the company and says that he did it for Frank, which in retrospect is crazy. <laughs> it's completely insane. <laughs> didn't do it for Frank. Like, you can maybe argue that like him and Frank had like a sort of paternal paternalistic relationship in season one, but like not right. now. Not now, bud. And he sort of says that like he wants Frank to try to get himself into that CEO position so that they can kind of come together and redirect the company. Mm-hmm. Um, he tries to call Jerry next, but she's on the phone with the president at uh, the White House. Um, it seems like he's, you know, again, in that moment, it's like, is he going to call everyone or is he, you know, does he have a plan here in terms of like, these are the people who I want on my team. I want to sow the seeds of like, you know they're of like you know come come to the other side and we don't get clarity on that just yet mm-hmm. but um the president is basically supportive uh but thinks it's best that they not have a call on the white house logs together so they talk to the first lady instead and everyone gets in the van except carl who gets a sandwich and connor and willow who are <laughs> brought to a separate car you know i <laughs> i there, there are things about the Connor and Willa story that I, you know, I want to see how they progress. And I feel like they could come into it in mm-hmm. an interesting way. But I also really love every time that they're there and it's just like, just fuck off. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> at, the, at the watch party I was at, uh, a, a friend came in and he immediate first thing he said was, I think Connor's going to win this whole season very confidently announced this to the entire group and then about 20 minutes in said i'm reconsidering my opinions on connor <laughs> he's not they don't let him go back to they they they, they keep him in croatia <laughs> they're like, you have to hold down the fort here and it's like there's no fort it's an airport <laughs> you can't go to sarajevo and you can't go to new york <laughs> what are you doing so yeah there's a call with the first lady and uh you know things start to get tense and she's like well we can't force the hand of the justice department and it's it it becomes clear that basically supportive means they're supportive except to the extent that they could do something about it Mm -hmm. um so that freaks logan out ken calls shiv acts very normal (laughs) (laughs) totally normal there's nothing wrong with kendall at all this episode (laughs) absolutely 
And then, yeah, Shiv hangs up on him uh, pretty quickly, but he does say that he has a spot for her. And then I believe it's Jess who says that uh, that Ken's side has Ewan, Laird, Ken's mom, Greg's mom, Josh Aronson, and Marsha. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. It's a, it's a lie that's kind of thrown away, but it's like, okay, so they've, so they've got Ewan, first of all, which, you know, ties into the thing about Greg. And uh, they've got uh, the mom, <laughs> which is interesting. And yeah. they have Marsha. They have the mom and Marsha, Mar- which could be very interesting. Yeah, <laughs> Greg's mom. I, I, we've seen Greg's mom once, so I'm like not 100% sure how much power she has. Um, but I was really um, intrigued by both Marsha and Ewan, but especially Ewan, because like Ewan refused to side with Kendall in the first vote of no confidence. Like he's like, I'd never betray right. my brother no matter what he does. And it's really interesting that this seems to have been a tipping point. Yeah. Ewan's whole thing is that he's, he's very like righteous and principled, but. The fact of that definitely makes it seem like he didn't want to go against Logan until he knew that it was stable and that there wouldn't be fallback from it. Mm-hmm. But we'll see how that works out. Very excited. They we get a we check in with Greg. He says, "Headline is the internet is big, obviously, and I couldn't read it all, but I'm working through. I guess, yeah, that's the big picture over here. <laughs> Media monitoring." <laughs> he's doing his best he's got his big boy pants on um he googled kendall roy's name and saw what came up (laughs) (laughs) such a great line and then and then uh ken's like is it positive and he's like yeah it's it's positive and then then he says the thing about the negative stuff kind of sticks in the head more because it's It's visceral I can so perfectly imagine a world where Kendall Roy is a real person and people are just tearing him to shreds with the crab rave video. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then he also says that there's a good memeage. Um, another interesting like distinction that I think happens here is that all the, you know, I feel like in previous seasons, it's been like this internal struggle and the outside perception largely seems to be they all suck. But now that but now we're seeing all this stuff where like consultants and social media are on are on Ken's side. And I think the, like, like it, you know, the, the idea of a positive media narrative for any for any of them is something that we haven't really seen up to this mm-hmm. point. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I didn't think about that. I also thought it was interesting how uh, Jerry, uh, I think it's uh, Carl or Frank says that the president is basically supportive of Logan. Mm-hmm. And then Greg says that the public opinion is basically very good for Ken. Yeah. It's it's like very conditional and very tentative. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and and we see, you know, the, the way that they split and the, you know, where their sources of power come from, one coming from the, the, the high-end connections and the other sort of coming from the court of public opinion. We see that in how Ken approaches, like, the steps moving forward, working with Lisa, the way that uh, he talks to the social media, uh, when he talks about social media and doing a, a TED talk and all that, New York Times op-ed, we'll get into it. <laughs> yes. So uh, then Ken calls Naomi and they, you know, flirt for a bit about him being the best man in the world. And they're interrupted by the fact that Ken cannot get into the Waystar building. So they have to keep driving and looking for a new headquarters. Uh, which is when Greg says, this is crazy. This is like OJ, except he uh-huh. never killed anyone. And Ken says, he said I never killed anyone. <laughs> With the most deranged look I've ever seen him have on his face. He looks happier than he ever has before yes. when he says that. <laughs> this 
really raises the question of what is going to happen with the Kendall Roy vehicular manslaughter incident in this season. That's the thing I was thinking about is at the end of the at the end of the last season, when he comes out with it, it was like that was the thing, you know, he, he was completely trapped by by the by by that leverage that that Logan had over him. And then when he comes out at the, uh, with with the information at the end of the season, it's um, it's a sense of like he's risking it all. But then I I reflect on it and where we are now. And it's like the story of that guy dying is already out. And the blame has already been placed on Logan. Mm-hmm. So if Logan came out now and said that this was Ken's fault, it it might not necessarily work out. I mean, I mean, I think it does, I don't know if Logan said that there's. I think Logan said that there's footage, uh, so that could uh, play into it. Like there are elements that mm-hmm. um, you know evidence if that became like a you know a case. But I, I realized that pushing on that if if it were something that could be pushed on that would probably be an early thing for logan to say (laughs) and yeah i i was kind of surprised that it wasn't logan's first move um Mm -hmm. like immediately dropped because like you know he kept whatever footage and like it it definitely implicates him to some degree that he hit it but it's kind of the thing of like oh if i go down i'm taking you down with me um and there there was another I think like talking about the way that Kendall's handling social media, you know, like in, we'll get to that actual scene um, in a bit, but uh, you know, he's very like, he's got all these ideas and he's like, I'm going to do a Ted talk. I'm going to get the Bojack Horseman guys. You know, I'm going to get all this. And like when Kendall is confident, his main problem is he doesn't know when to stop and he does not know when to keep his mouth closed. And like, there's some part of me that's wondering like, is he going to try and get ahead of this? before he has to that is interesting yeah because because he has that leverage of like logan is not really in a position to come forward with it but if he ends up coming forward with it be a bad idea but it's exactly the kind of bad idea kendall would think is good absolutely absolutely Especially since, like, he's still so, like, he hasn't had closure on that, and he's so beaten up about that. He wanted to tell the family. He was, you know, going around their house looking at looking at all their memories and stuff. Like, like it, it's something that's going to come up, and it feels like something that he's going to feel like he has to get closure on. Mm-hmm. Logan probably doesn't care about that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it was, like, a Tuesday to Logan. Like, he does not think about it. Yeah, so if it were to come back, it would probably be because it's what Ken uh, feels that he needs to say, Mm -hmm. uh, probably incorrectly. I also like how when Ken says, who says I never killed anyone, Greg's like, what character is that? (laughs) (laughs) Greg is not even reading into it whatsoever. He's just like, (laughs) joke. Oh, but that could also be something is if Greg found out about that, would that maybe cause a rift with with, with him and and Ken? Would that would he, would he be like, I don't know about this? This. OK. Do you know about the thing with Greg and the waiter? No. OK, this this is like something that like I've definitely seen. Like, this is not 100 percent me being insane. I've seen this show up a couple times um, online and stuff. But uh, you, you know how at the wedding Greg is like smoking weed with the waiter? Yeah. And, you know, like, they're they're being friendly or whatever. And then, you know, Greg is, Greg then decides the next morning, like, okay, I'm going to um, tell Tom that Shiv is cheating on her. And he gets dropped off in a car 
where Tom is running and he gets out of the car and like he says like thank you last night was great to whoever's in the car and the car that Greg gets out of is the same car that the waiter is driving when Kendall crashes it Mm. which implies that in some capacity they spent the night together Mm. which is really very little of this show is left up to chance um so i I don't know what Mm. it 100 percent is but it is an interesting thing to consider with the kendall waiter situation yeah i i mean i think that first of all it could be a parallel to you know, how Tom and Greg unfold in the first season with uh, Greg being tasked with hiding the the cruise ship stuff and, you know, making this decision to save some of the documents for like, you know, moral reasons and also uh, kind of kind of personal reasons. Um, and I, I could see there being a parallel there where like if Greg finds out, if the information is revealed to Greg, maybe by Tom, maybe by Logan, and he starts to starts to hide that from Ken and have that on the back burner in case he needs to go public with that. I, I could see that being something. <laughs> I I agree. I think that could definitely be a factor in this. Because Greg Greg can be tight-lipped when he wants to be, but if he doesn't. So um like I said, both Ken and Logan are unclear on where they're physically going next. Um Logan also decides to lawyer up. Tom suggests Leo Upton, a quote, tough bastard, while Jerry suggests uh, Lisa Arthur. Um, And uh, Jerry says that the image of Leo is he can fight this, while the image of Lisa is maybe he's right. And Lisa is an old friend of Shiv's. So we have that sort of, you know, this new character, Lisa, we we have that sort of conflict set up there um, where they're they're both after her. I don't know. It'll come up later, but it's interesting. Lawyer debate. Yes. Uh, Logan calls Roman Tumble Down Dick, which is a nickname that was, give- <laughs> that was given to Richard Cromwell after he abruptly fell from power. So, you know, there's there's some meaning there with the, the you know, satellite or whatever. I thought it was interesting, now we can get into it, that uh, Tom is on the plane with Logan. Yes. Um, the Tom- Where Tom ends up is, I think, very telling for how this season is going to be structured. Um, mm-hmm. Because before, you know, as you said, like Logan picks him, he's like, okay, you're going to be, you're going to come to um, Bulgaria with me. You're going to come to Cerevejo and you're going to be like my man for ATN and we'll be in the war room together. And it's kind of him and the the other losers of the group because it's Frank and Carl and Logan. Um, but given that Tom and Shiv are, currently deciding whether or not to get divorced it uh takes on a lot of weight um because you know they they're shown like physically going in opposite directions and like i think like in life going in opposite directions and like i think that that scene where they say goodbye together is definitely worth unpacking um yes yes. (laughs) what what were your thoughts on that so on on that scene um you know, uh, Shiv says, I love you. And Tom says, uh-huh, thanks. <laughs> thing to say when you totally are still in love with your wife is, yeah, thanks. Absolutely. But you think about, you know, where Tom and Shiv started out, where he was kind of, he was kind of getting cucked. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the only way to describe it. There's, that, that's really how it is. Um, and um, 
there was this idea present about how Shiv was insisting upon this, you know, more open uh, dynamic. And, and Tom was like, yeah, that's cool. But he never got a chance to act on it and um, felt, you know, felt like he was being left behind as they were about to get married. And then they did get married and uh, he, uh, he had this encounter, uh, you know, during the bachelor party and um that yeah, late in season two they um sort of had had these uh this kind of heartfelt moment together where they were sort of unpacking everything and it be you know it's where we, we sort of built to that point where they might be separating or something and um now the the the, the power has shifted in that sense and, and and also in another sense with tom but you know that that uh shiv Shiv's always had a certain level of investment in it and it's, and she just had less of it than Tom, but now it feels like Tom is kind of completely off it, but not, not totally because it, it comes back later, but, uh, but it seems like Tom is really frustrated with the whole thing. And now Shiv is the one who is in the more desperate position to bring to bring him back together. Yes. I, th- I think, um, I think it's definitely worth bringing in the conversation that you mentioned that they have at the end of season two. Um, Cause where it ends is, you know, Tom is like very, I, I, I must preface this by saying I'm a Wamsgans warrior. Um, sure. Tom's my favorite character. He's very compelling and interesting um, for a lot of reasons, but um, you know, he kind of ends that the way, what he ends that conversation on is this like very good line that has stuck with me for, the whole two years between seasons where he says like sometimes I wonder if the sad I get from being with you is worse than the sad I'd get from being without you and like that's kind of where that conversation ends where he's like I am not happy whatsoever in this relationship and like I'm I love you and like I will miss you if I leave but also like it's just reached this point where it's completely untenable because you know at this point this is also when Shiv has thrown Tom under the bus as like a possible person to go to jail and like take the heat for cruises Um, and like she goes very much out of her way to do that Um, like no one asks her to do it Um, and I think Shiv takes for granted the idea that Tom will always be there Um, like I think that's kind of the best way to describe it because, you know, when, when they're having this conversation, Tom's like, oh, you know, we'll talk when we get back, right? Um, about like where right. we're going with this. And Shiv says, yeah, you know, cause like, I love you. And like, it's like very much like kind of an afterthought almost to her. And when Tom says, thank you, she, Sarah Snook first off is such a phenomenal actress because like Shiv yeah. has this like, just this look where like, she kind of like sucks in her bottom lip and like turns her face away very sharply because like it's like as if she's been slapped in the face like Tom has never even remotely pushed this way before um and I think I think he's showing more confidence than Tom has ever shown on this show before um I don't know if you agree with that uh but it's just really interesting to watch Shiv be unconfident in their relationship. You know who Tom has shown that much confidence with before? Greg. Yes. That is the counterpoint. That is the counterpoint. Are are you saying that like Shiv is kind of like maybe in the Greg role now? Like is it has Greg moved up and Shiv moved down? 
well, well, Greg is sort of out of the picture for time right now, and so I think I think Shiv is getting Gregged, <laughs> in a sense. Yeah. Here's the other interesting thing about Tom um, and where and where he is at right now. I just think like in another season, I could definitely see it where Tom would be sent back to New York or Tom would be left behind with Connor and Willa. Like 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 Logan's relationship with Tom has been pretty frigid uh, for the most part up to this mm-hmm. point. Is Tom inner circle now? <laughs> Well, that's the question, right? Because it's like, is Tom only invited because Sid, the other head of ATN, is not there? Or does Logan... Because, like, Logan genuinely asks his advice on that plane and, like, genuinely seems yeah. to have trust that he will do his job, which has never happened before. And Tom's, you know, privy to those conversations we never get to see about... Uh... Uh, about Logan maybe being fucked. And um, Logan seems to genuinely ask Tom if he wants to be CEO mm-hmm. at a point. Like, you know, it it sort of seems like Tom's power ranking has moved up. Yeah. And like, even, I'm sure we'll get to this actual scene, um, but, you know, even later in the episode when they're deciding who might be like interim CEO, Tom says like, oh, I really like Jerry and I really like Roman. And Logan says, are you just trying to put, like, a mark against them so that, like, I'll choose Shiv instead? And Tom says, like, no, I genuinely like them. And, like, Logan seems to actually take him at his word for that. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, whereas, like, I feel like usually he would have just called him, like, a little Nancy boy or something and, like, moved sure. on. Yeah, we'll definitely get more into that later. Um <laughs> But then after the after the I love you conversation, the other thing that uh, Tom says to Shiv is you'll see him again. <laughs> Such a classic Wamsgans move where he's like trying to offer comfort and like instead makes it seem like her dad's about to die. <laughs> I mean, there's already an element of like, you know, the, the fact that he's talking about going to Sarajevo and, you know, places where he won't get extradited. Like, there's definitely the stakes have never been higher and there's a tendency throughout this show to like want to play down the stakes in these characters like they, they always want to be like well everything will be fine because he'll get out of it or well you know it's really just about us but like when tom says you'll see him again like there really is a chance that she won't mm-hmm. but 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 no one's supposed to say that yes and he's like completely like it's He's very earnestly trying to give his wife support. And like, she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, it's really funny. Plus the passive aggressive kiss he blows her at the end of that conversation really just seals the entire deal. Yeah. And then the other thing that happens before that is that Shiv asked Tom if Ken called him and he says, and he says not to speak. (laughs) <laughs> which is interesting i think tom got a call like i really am confident tom got a call and it was just off camera because like that was such a classic like no no um nope nope he definitely he didn't call me nope no did he call you like classic. yeah definitely classic long skins um yeah i definitely think it's it's possible that tom got a call it's possible that anyone got a call but uh that scene definitely made me feel like Tom got a call. 
but I wonder, you know, I, I, I wonder if Ken would call Tom and like what, what he would want out of Tom. I, I, I was thinking about, you know, the question is always, what does anyone want from Tom? Um, what does he have right. to offer? But I, I think, um, you know, in season one, when Kendall's first making these moves um, towards the no confidence plan, there is like this exchange between Tom and Kendall where like Tom is like, you know, I'm team Kendall in this. Like, I trust you. And like Kendall says like, you know, I think you've done a really good job handling cruises, which he might have a different opinion post uh, Tom's terrible DC uh, congressional testimony. Um, But I do think there's like, I don't know. I think there's some history there. So I wouldn't be super surprised, especially given that, Kendall knows that the other head of the news department is not his biggest fan. Right. Yeah. Th- like, yeah, Tom is definitely less inner circle, like, like, like someone who can maybe be trusted to jump ship, even if, even if he doesn't really want to have him on board that badly. Ken sets up at Rava's apartment. <laughs> Great decision. Going to your ex-wife's apartment and being like, okay, can I also call my girlfriend um, and have her show up after I've already imposed on you? And like 10 other people. Seemingly <laughs> <laughs> like camped out for like an indefinite amount of time, like days maybe, who knows? I, I love the interact. I mean, there's there's some great awkward interactions with, uh, with, with Ken and Rava here. I like how he's like he's like asking her what she thought of the of, of the speech and, and and she's like yeah sure and then eventually she's like i haven't actually watched it yet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes it's so good and he's like you should you should really watch it and she's like okay um sure like just not even giving him an inch here like perfectly polite and smiley and not personal in the best way yeah and that's also the conversation where he says i did it for you and she's like sure yeah. <laughs> Um, like you, he's like, I did it for you and the kids. And it's like, how, like, how does this help them in your eyes? Yeah. It's funny. The the great thing about Rava is that Ken is generally like less bullshitty than the other people that he's around. Uh, and, but then Rava is the one who like points out how Ken is also bullshitting. <laughs> and I, I, I love to see that. Yeah. Rava, Rava's a great character. I really do hope we get to see more of her this season. Absolutely. It seems like we will. I mean, she's uh, campaign headquarters. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, and then that conversation ends with Ken saying, so what do you think? Can I do this? Can I win? And Rava's like, I don't know. <laughs> don't you have people to ask this like why are you asking me and then uh frank and carl reflect on all their past debacles most of which we uh don't know anything about they're just sort of uh mentioned by name frank says he's a comeback kid carl says i I love this line but senate fbi sec class actions plus sandy and stewie i mean this is a 12 foot sub of poisonous tree frogs this is the full baskin robbins 31 flavors of fuck right here 31 flavors of fuck I know is going to be a line that gets embedded in the popular vocabulary. It is Absolutely. such a classic Jesse Armstrong line. <laughs> it's great. That that's that's going on t-shirts for sure. Um the 12 foot sub of poisonous tree frogs I feel like gets lost because it's next to that one, but that's also really good. <laughs> 
it, it's always interesting with Sandy and Stewie. They don't like come up in this episode and they, you know, they'll often be gone for several episodes at a time from the, from the conversation. But it's interesting how like, it's a whole separate thing. That's like, that that's like there, but, but, but not present, but they, they can't like not think about it completely. Cause they're the ones who were, they're the ones who leaked the, the thing with the waiter and implicated Logan in that they're the ones who were really running this media campaign in the midst of all the uh, of all these lawsuits to like really you know bring the company down i will be really interested to see what happens with them throughout the season because i think there's a possibility that it remains three separate camps of sandy and stewie kendall and then logan but there's also the possibility that they end up kind of teaming back up with kendall um yeah in the way that they were in season one so i'll be interested to see how that breaks i don't think we know right now yeah. i mean i think the way that i see it is that um sandy and stewie have always been this sort of the this sort of chaotic chaotic entity that's like on the ken side when there is such a side but like yeah, obviously in season two there was no ken side really so they kind of went rogue and um, now they sort of need to come back together. But I do feel, I mean, Stewie and Ken, like, oh, yeah, spark, sparks fly. You got it. <laughs> chemistry between them. Like, if this season had cold open and started with them in bed, it would have been believable. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm very invested in Stewie. I need him to come back. He's such a good part of the show. Absolutely. Love to see him. Uh, so Logan calls a meeting uh, again in the in the next room in the plane and uh they you know they prepare for war he announces that he will step back as ceo that you know when, when that finally happens he just kind of throws it out there <laughs> i have a question for you about that um okay because you know the whole conceit of this show is that logan never wants to step down like he doesn't even want part of the reason it's so hard to chase a successor is because he doesn't even want to think about having that conversation when I was watching, because, you know, I, I watched this in a big group um, and one of the people I was watching with suggested that maybe because they, OK, they kind of raised this. We didn't talk about this, but they do kind of raise this very quickly in the beginning of the episode where Hugo, the other PR person who's with with this group that's in Europe, comes up to the group and says, is it safe, you know, that we can put out a general thing that Logan himself never directly hurt anyone physically or mentally or directly was involved with his hands on anything and the group like says yes but someone that I was with raised the possibility that maybe Logan is willing to step down now because he actually does have something that would come up like he did something that's interesting my uh assessment i i haven't really fully assessed it yet but i feel like my assessment would be that um i think logan you know logan's been playing with with stepping down and with like eventually setting out a path to step down in previous seasons especially with the peers buyout there was definitely a lot of talk of that but i think that the the fact that logan you know threw it out so glibly and the fact that he's you know just saying it right now means that he doesn't really consider it stepping down i mean he talked about how like and this is sort of built upon in the episode like whoever he picks it's really going to be him still in charge but it's a it's a media thing but i think that he he would know that that puts him in a in a weaker position in terms of the fact that there is a power struggle to be had still but um i think that he 
is doing it with the assessment that a he's going to continue being in control and b maybe i mean maybe thinking back to the end of the last season he does intend to because what was that whole episode that whole finale about it was about them finding a fall guy and they didn't because ken went rogue and blamed it on logan Mm -hmm. so i think it's possible that he's still in that mindset and that whoever he's picking for ceo is really someone who he wants to bring down i think that that is definitely a very smart read of it i think I read his suggestion as more serious than it has come up in the past. And I think, I think you can definitely mm. argue. I think, I think it's very possible because I'm not hundred percent sure where I land on this of if he's choosing someone that he thinks will do a good job, or if he's choosing someone like Shiv picked Rhea to take the fall, as he said, part of it was, um, you know, when they've had to, in a couple instances, put someone down on a piece of paper. Uh, as like this would technically be the next person and like it's it's been Jerry in all of those situations and it's always been the idea that like yeah you technically have this power of being the successor but like that's not actually being given to you and it felt like e- even though he's like you know technically staying in power it felt like he was putting a lot more thought into mm-hmm. this decision even though it's just a temporary one and he's not actually stepping down but I don't know yeah, I mean, the, the most serious one thus far has probably been episode one, Logan physically can't do anything and, and Ken for like two days is actually CEO. Mm-hmm. But um, the but, but this definitely does feel more serious than any of the of the previous instances where where, where someone has taken over. But I, you know, it's funny because midway through the episode, I was thinking about how, well, it, it could never really be Jerry because the show's about the family. But then as it became clear that it was Jerry, I was like, well, of course, this of course, this isn't the real thing, though. <laughs> you know, like 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 and I, I think that um, I think that it, it feels like there's more weight to it. But it also there's sort of a metatextual level on which, you know, that mm. it's not going to work out eventually. And there's also. I, I, I think a level within the show where L- Logan would not be so quick to do that if he if, if he thought this was going to be the real thing. Mm. Because we in all the previous interactions, it's been like, you know, with Shiv, it was like, we'll do three years, five years, and then we'll have you come in. Like, like you know, there, there's a conversation about uh, about uh carl or frank thinking that roman isn't ready and then he's like well was i ready is anyone ready um but i think that he i think he may have jumped the gun and i think maybe the end of this episode is him realizing like maybe i just made the wrong move but the but but i also think that he he was not moving as if he was really picking the actual successor right now i think it's a good point so yeah, they have this uh, this conversation about about you know he grills guys about their picks. He says let a hundred flowers bloom. Uh, <laughs> great line. Carl suggests himself and uh, gets left out of the room, as you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, Logan's line is Carl, if your hands are clean, it's only because your whorehouse also does manicures. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Carl's main trait as a character is that he gets jerked off at whorehouses. Like that's all we know about his personal life. It really is. And like I said, he's one of these guys who I think are just part of like 
I mean, I don't know, obviously, but I, I feel like that's a part of like that executive level segment of society that there are some people who our executives are never going to actually be in charge, but they have a bunch of money and connections and they can do whatever they want. And like I said, he just doesn't care about anything because he knows that he's always going to be fine. It's like in Cash 22, the the old Italian guy who's talking about how Italy, how he was on the side of the fascists when they were in charge and he's on the side of America now. And you like, like he's he like, and he's always going to be on the side of whoever's in charge and he talks about how Italy has had all these different rulers over time, but it's still here. And America has, has been, you know, in the, it, it has been in the same place all this time, but is it going to still be around in 500 years, a thousand years? It feels like, you know, Frank is the Italy of that dynamic. That's a really good way of putting it. It quickly becomes clear that it's, it's Shiv or Roman or Jerry, uh, you know, we've, we've pretty much, that, that's pretty much always what it is. Um, Tom immediately runs off to call Shiv, <laughs> yes. which is interesting. Yes. This, this scene I think is really interesting, especially with what he ends up doing afterwards. Right. right. Um, because, you know, like he, he like literally runs off, like he's like scurrying off like a, like some sort of little boy, like off to the, he's pretending he's in the bathroom. Um, right. and he's like calling Shiv and he's like, Hey, you know, but he's phrases it really specifically. Like they're playing dice with God in the other room, which like, you know, yeah. gives it this weight. And like, basically like Shiv is like, uh, okay, you got to hustle for me, baby. Um, like you got to get my name in there. She asks like, do you want to be it? And he's like, no, no, no. Um, and like, seems like he's not lying. Like, I don't know how you read that. I, I felt it was a little similar to the the way he said that he didn't get a call from Ken, but um, I, I I think I mean it comes up again later in the episode when uh, when Logan asks him if he wants it. I think I you know obviously he wanted it initially, and he is you know that's been very present this whole time. I think um, he wants it, but he's convinced himself that it can't happen. I think that's a good way of putting it. I, I also wonder if he's a little um, afraid of being handed bigger positions, given that he was handed cruises as a way to implicate him. And he also got similarly fucked when he was handed the promotion of working for ATN. Right. And that thing I was saying about how maybe maybe logan's picking someone to screw over like like that could be where tom's coming from yes i because I, I think i think shiv's biggest fault is that she never thinks her dad is gonna fuck her and i think that at this point tom has realized like the blinders are off for tom like part of that whole big argument that him and shiv get into is he's like i was given really shitty advice before the hearings like i think i've been purposely left out to dry this entire time and i think that like you've kind of been like hiding that from me and i think like part of like this mechanisms and like the maneuvers of what he's doing is like he's realized how easily people will fuck him over and like that pattern and like he's not putting his foot in that yeah we'll get into it later but i also wonder if roman's move at the end of the episode comes from the same realization interesting i think that that's very possible (laughs) yeah we'll uh we'll see about it 
let's see let's see let's see so yeah shiv asks tom if he wants it tom stumbles and saying no but asks shiv if he wants him to push for her meanwhile jerry learns from frank of the ceo talk and tells roman um they're very much a duo in this episode <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, Jerry and Roman, like you, you can tell. I mean, obviously, they've had they've had this dynamic up until now, but you can also really tell from the just the promotional material for this season that like they're really getting into it. Yeah, and yeah. Shiv has this line about Miss Havisham and uh, being buried with a bonnet full of clever stratagems, and uh, she wants it. It's very clear that that like she really wants it, and um, she's maybe the only person who goes that far into into admitting that she wants it in the episode and maybe that could be her downfall yeah I th- it's not in this episode but it could be eventually i think i think a lot of like shiv really does like capital w want this like this is what she's been going for and like that was part of her whole arc of season two was like wanting this so bad and being told it was a reality and then like watching as it was slowly pulled away from her um and i think part of what always ends up getting her in the end is that she is not at good as good at hiding her emotions as she thinks she is definitely i mean that you know we definitely see that in her marriage too <laughs> we definitely see oh shiv i gotta love her uh this is where I'll uh, I'll admit that uh, Roman is my favorite character. Good choice uh, on the show. I, f- I feel like he doesn't he doesn't get as much. Love. I feel like everyone's talking about Tom and Greg nowadays, but uh, you know I'm I'm I like Roman. He's funny. Roman Roman is a very close second in my heart. He's a wonderful little guy. Yeah, and he has this really great line when when Shiv gets off the phone and he asks what the call is, and she says it's just bullshit. And it's like oh bullshit, that's boring. <laughs> bullshit calls <laughs> it's just really Karen Culkin's line delivery is just so out of this world funny like everything he says is just hilarious yeah and then and then and then uh they're talking about it more and Robin's like care to make it interesting throw a little money on the table it's just like well I'm already pretty fucking interested <laughs> What a crazy like like imagine on top of all this to be like let's put, let, let, let's have a little game here. Yeah, imagine you have to pay your brother 50 bucks when you just found out you won't be the CEO of the biggest company in the world. Oh, what a guy. Classic Roman though. Like Roman. of course he would. This was I think one of the most Roman Roman episodes of all time. Very strong Roman. Some layered Roman stuff that comes in later, but like we we get we get good Roman in here for sure. Uh, and then the next scene is the one that introduces our uh, social media manager. <laughs> yes, our uh, very specific actress playing a social yeah. media manager. Sure. <laughs> Do you want to talk about that? So, I I have never listened to Red Scare. Um, Neither have I. But I'm certainly familiar. <laughs> With, with 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 Dasha and the, the the way that she's you know the culture around her, um, and I don't think that, that this is definitely not the first time I've seen her in something. You know she's 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 an actress; she does things, but uh, definitely hard to miss when, when she appears. And she has she has a very distinctive, just kind of a podcast voice in general. Yes. 
her podcast voice is so specific that like I genuinely for about half a second thought that her dialogue was being ADR'd in. Um, <laughs> it just does not match with the overall tone of the show. Yeah, I, I, I felt like she was... I mean, in her first, first she has this interaction with Greg, where Greg, Greg is talking about the tweets that he's uh, scrounged up and how he's canceling his mom's credit card. <laughs> and um, we love him. We love him. I, I, I think her reaction to that makes sense. I get a good idea of this character. She's not like, you know, there, there's no other like real deadpan character in the show. Like she, you know, she, she's sort of bringing a different energy to it. But I do feel like. You know, I know people like that, and, and I, I, I felt like I could see that kind of character being in it. I definitely felt like in the in the subsequent conversation with Ken, it was a little more like, like, like is this what is this what you're given the whole time? Is it just going to be this <laughs> this for everything? I, she disappeared so much in that conversation with Ken. Um, mm-hmm. I will put my cards on the table and say that the appearance of Dasha is the first time I've ever been genuinely wary of the show. Um, mm. Not necessarily, like, I, I have issues with uh, her as a figure, um, but sure. mostly just, I think, like, from a logistical standpoint, like, this, like, really, because it's, it's stunt casting. Like, Dasha does not have the credentials as an actress. I think, like, I mean, she has, you know, she's got, like, a bunch of roles on IMDb and stuff, but it's mostly bit parts. Like, it's very hard to believe that, like, she was sought out solely on, like, acting merits. Um, not, I'm trying not to be, like, terribly judgmental, but, like, you know, she comes in and it's, like, immediately breaking the immersion. Like, seeing on Twitter, like, Dasha, every single tweet was, like, why is Dasha here? Like, it's not, like, oh, my God, new character. It's, like, immediately, like, Dasha of Red Scare Podcast is here. And I think, like... Like, like she really does disappear so much in that next scene. And it's like, did you bring her in just to like have this moment? Um, do, do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, she's from what we know, she's going to be around like, like she's, you know, she's, she's part of the team. She's going to be, you know, around a lot in this season. I, um, I wasn't, I, I, I didn't, I, I, I forgot that she was in the show and I didn't recognize her right away, but um, I definitely, uh, yeah, like I said, I've seen her in things before and I feel like there's definitely an element with her and the other one is, uh, is like a, is, is like a musician. You know, she also acts, but she's uh, someone who's, who's a little left field uh, to be on the show. And it's a little like, it feels intentional because you don't see that all the time. I definitely feel like, we know of some more like names that are going to show up in this season. And there's a few more in this episode even, but it, I did start to, when, uh, when, when we see Lisa for the first time, I, I, you know, it did reach a point for me where I was starting to be like, are there, are, are we getting too into the cameo thing by this point? Yeah. Um, Cause I mean, even like season two, Holly Hunter is one of the biggest characters on that show. And I adore Holly Hunter, but she's one of those actresses that every time you look at her, you go, that's Holly Hunter. Like, that is who sure. she is. Um, but I think it was perfect. I think it balanced out fine. But I do think there's a lot of cameos. Um, like, Adrian Brody's going to show up. One of the Scars guards is supposed to show up. And, like, they're all very recognizable figures. Um, and I think it definitely raises a question. I don't... I have faith in the show, but it is something that's kind of there. 
Yeah, I, I, I think a Skarsgård makes sense just like, you know, in that space, just like visually and in terms of, you know, energy. Yeah. Adrian Brody is tough to... <laughs> it's Adrian Brody. He's Adrian Brody. To be fair, Kieran Culkin is Kieran Culkin, but, um, you know, they, it does feel like they're uh, getting a little heavy with it. Uh, I, 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 I hope that Adrian Brody revived his uh, Jamaican guy from, from SNL that one time. <laughs> oh, man. I, I'm not super familiar with Adrian Brody's work, so we'll see. <laughs> I, I mean, he's great, you know, but uh, but he's Adrian Brody. Adrian Brody! <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the social media managers, John Ken in the other room, uh, he continually interrupts them to talk about his plan of action. He's clearly very excited about it. Um, he says a couple other quotes here. I think the headline needs to be, fuck the weather, we're changing the cultural climate. I'm talking to the Times about an op-ed, draft an alternative corporate manifesto, drop a rapid reaction TEDx. I'd like my Twitter to be off the hook. <laughs> he specifically says that he wants to get the writers from BoJack Horseman to write his tweets, which incredible <laughs> that Kendall Roy canonically watches and enjoys BoJack Horseman. <laughs> I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. I just wonder when he had the time. <laughs> Picturing him like going home from his miserable day at Waystar and going like, I really need something to cheer me up and turning on like season three of BoJack. <laughs> we typically this is another thing where we typically don't see these kinds of moves in the show of like this is the narrative that i'm going to spin this is you know he th this is me thinking a few steps ahead we usually just see the step but uh for him to be like we're going to try to paint this as not as me against Logan, but as me wanting to sort of change the corporate culture and bring, you know, some, some kind of new blood into it. Um, the fact that he talks about doing a TED talk, I, I feel like that would be, that would be really, it, it, it's a weirdly out of touch thing to contrast. I mean, I guess the idea of having like a, like a really necessary Twitter account is sort of out of touch too, but um I don't know to to be talking about doing a TED talk. Like, yeah, like, especially like how does he phrase it? Like rapid response TED talk or something? Where a like, rapid response TEDx. Yeah. TEDx. Yeah, not even a TED talk. A TEDx. Like one of the like things right. that you could do if you're in high school if you want. Um, right. It's like, do you know how you work at a news company, right? Like you know that TEDx's are not where you break news, like. Right? <laughs> Like, like you could be a really famous person and do a TEDx and no one's going to know yeah. about it. Absolutely. <laughs> it's interesting that he's, that he's talking about the philosophy of business and how he intends to put forward that he's bringing a new philosophy into it when that, that, that hasn't been his motivation up to this point, And we don't really know what his philosophy is. That's different from, that's the thing is like, out of all the people to be the successor, Kendall is the one who's the most like, would things actually change if he was in charge? Yes, uh, because Kendall, as as one of the best succession fan videos says, Kendall is daddy's number one candy baby. Like, right. he is always like, he. part of the tragedy of Kendall, tragedy in quotes uh, in the first season is that like he has done everything right like he's never broken from their father's like goals like he's always you know following logan's methods and like he really is the one who 
learned under Logan and like still is not good enough. And so it's like, you, you know, like you could say you want to change it, but like, no, you don't. Like you just want to be the one in charge and that's it. Yeah. And, and, you know, he's talking about all this philosophy stuff and it's really not clear like what his philosophy is or if he philosophically disagrees with, with Logan on anything we have, like, like we know, we, we know there are certain business decisions that Logan made that, that, that he would have gone another way. We know that he made that Valter decision that Logan ended up on doing. We know they've been at odds about specific decisions, but with, with Roman and Shiv and even with Jerry, we know that they, have different ideas of how things should run than Logan does. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and it, yeah, it feels like we don't necessarily have that with Kendall. Yeah. I agree. Um, and then at the end of that meeting, the consultants say, we think you're going to win this and we like winners again, just, you know, an interesting thing in terms of like people, people outside of the inner circle really think that, that, that this is going to happen, mm-hmm. which, uh, which we've never really had before. Um, Logan and crew land in Sarajevo, go over the options. Logan asks Tom what he thinks of himself, and uh, Tom backs off pretty quickly. He backs off quickly and confidently. I, I would like, mm. I think he, I think he's more confident in that statement than when he said it to Shiv. That's true. And when he said it to Shiv, he, you know, he sort of like, like part of what he said is that with the cruise ship thing, I don't even think I'm on the table. And like, I think, I think when it got to that point of, of, of Logan asking him, it was definitely like, I don't know if, if Tom thought that Logan really meant it, or again, if Tom has a certain calculation that, that this is not the real deal, that this is some kind of uh, chess move. Mm-hmm. I'll be quick, but I, I am very interested to see where Tom goes, because I think this is the first time where I feel like it is not super clear what Tom is thinking. That's true. That's true. He's... um. Yeah, if he doesn't want to be CEO, that's the thing is that he's always been motivated by he wants to be CEO. He wants to work things out with Shiv. Like, like, like he wants to, you know, do whatever he wants to do to Greg. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> All those things are gone, and we we and we know that he does that he doesn't want to that he, he he it doesn't seem like he wants to work things out with Shiv anymore he Mm-mm. pretty it definitely seems like he doesn't want to be ceo anymore so what what is his angle what is his goal does he have one right now has he thought about it we don't know yeah we'll see we'll see we'll see uh he's kind of in a similar position to where ken was though at the beginning of the last season where like he really fucked up with the with the court hearings and it, it, it could be a sense of like i can't do anything that's a very good point I didn't think to compare them, but I think you're 100% right um, that, like, he is at his lowest. He has completely nothing to lose right now and at the same time nothing it's to gain. True. Yeah, so he so he's a real wild card. He could do something great. Yeah, I'm excited to see where he goes. I think he might become the Joker. Who knows? Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, we see Roman and Jerry, and Roman... Uh, propositions jerry uh pretty pretty forcefully um and, and jerry's like you know we have this uh the, this this professional relationship i don't want to do that roman mentions that uh the little guys and mo are the only ones implicated in the cruise scandal uh which made me think about how tom was supposed to take the fall for it and he knew about it and he shifted the responsibility to someone else and that's something that hasn't totally come out yet and there might be more elements of the crew scandal that haven't really come out yet, but that was something that reminded me of that. I I was very conscious of how little 
we as the audience actually know about the cruise stuff. That's true. Um, because like, you know, if, even when Tom is originally finding out about it and telling Greg, it's all in very vague terms. Like we see Tom reading the papers and like we get more and more of it as the show unravels. Um, but I'll I'll be I'm interested to see because I don't I don't know if Lo- uh, Roman's 100 percent correct that like it's only the little guys who are implicated. Um, I mean, we know yeah, Tom's but- implicated. So we'll see. Yeah. But also what Roman says is the official explanation. So it's it's possible that it, it's another element of even though he and Jerry are alone and he's trying to get her to have sex with him. <laughs> so like he's, he wants to be clear yep. that it's alone. It seems like he's maybe playing into that, uh, the narrative and uh, doesn't necessarily mean what he's saying. But um, good point. Just as Jerry is seems to almost consider Roman's proposition, like but when Roman says no one would know and she's like, you know, she she gives a bit of, bit of a look. Uh, Logan gives her a call and tells her that she will be interim CEO. The reason being that she blew it with Lisa. We forgot to talk about how Roman goes to bat for Jerry. Right. Did I did I did I, did I skip like a page or oh, I don't know what happened here? But that was um, I think the only yeah. thing we skipped. Yeah, well, I, I don't think I took any notes on, on Shiv's meeting with Lisa because uh wasn't so much to say about that, I feel like. Yeah, I, like she basically just walks in and kind of blows it immediately because Lisa has already agreed to work for Kendall. Mm-hmm. Or or at least like knows that she wants to work for Kendall. Yes, I think that's a better way of putting it. Yeah, but Roman goes to bat for Jerry. Um, Like, you know, he calls up Logan and is basically like, hey, uh, I'd be great at this job, but... What if actually Jerry took it because, you know, I know you don't think I'm super experienced and stuff. Um, and it was, I don't know, it was like kind of Roman playing a game, but it was also like this like really, I, I was taken aback by uh, the kind of like emotion behind it. Like Roman never goes out on a limb for anyone. And like, you know, may- maybe he is saving his own skin by not wanting to take it. But I do think he's also like, definitely express i mean he expresses that he wants to have sex with jerry but i think he's also like you know they have an informal kind of pact that like where one of them goes Mm -hmm. the other one goes yeah they uh, there are a couple layers to it on the one hand uh maybe roman doesn't want the role but on on the other hand i think he sees i i think he does have that that uh that real respect for jerry and also because of their relationship sort of feel, feels that like there's more for him to get out of Jerry than Shiv and then also uh the the really interesting thing about that moment to me is 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 how is how Roman kind of admits that he that that that, that he doesn't want it or seems to admit that he that, that that he doesn't think he's right for it and um that's something I don't think we've seen from Roman before. Yeah, like it, it seems like the first time he's admitting that to himself, let alone admitting it to anyone out loud, um, which I was, I don't know, a very striking scene overall, I think, from Roman. Like you very ra- rarely see Roman pull back his whole shtick, like his whole performance. And uh, I'm sure that as you know, I'm assuming the next episode is going to be Jerry stepping in as CEO. And I definitely think it's going to be very, very quickly. We're going to see uh, how Roman factors into that in, in an interesting way. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, uh, that, that Shiv blew it with Lisa, which isn't uh, exactly true. You know, it, it, it's something that's definitely 
That is definitely. I mean, Roman calls Shiv and and says that uh, and says that Logan wants to wants to fire her or says it in song. And um, I I like it. It seems like we see the actual meeting and we see that like there was really nothing Lisa could do. And and you know like like Shiv comes in and they're you know sort of there there's sort of this tension because like Lisa can't really talk to Shiv even though they have this history yeah. and it's a complicated history that we don't know that much about because because like they say they're friends but the first time she says it she's like yeah we're 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 friends <laughs> both of them have a hesitance to label what their history is in a way that is like very charged um mm -hmm. that i didn't fully know what to make of it um but there was i don't know it's always important to pay attention to what is said and what is not said um with this show i think but uh yeah i i i think we'll probably see that unravel a little more maybe we won't maybe it'll be it'll be subtext but i i just think it's interesting that shiv um didn't really fuck it up in any active way but this is probably something that has you know cost her the position in in a number of ways it's i think it's kind of interesting um with how Shiv gets put in that position to be making um, this kind of deal between Lisa and Logan, because Tom is actually the one who says that Shiv has a history with Lisa. Um, mm. You know, because like when when Jerry brings up like Lisa versus uh, Leo, the other lawyer, I think so. Yeah. Um, Tom says like, "Oh, Shiv has a friendship with her. You could talk to her, right?" And kind of puts her. Like Logan would not have suggested that without Tom saying this about Shiv. And I think with everything mm. that happens between Tom and Shiv in this episode, it's kind of interesting because it's like, does Tom, was this just like Tom making a blunder or does he actually know that like there might be a lot riding on this and putting Shiv in a bad position on purpose. That is interesting. And I also, I think back to the call and the fact that he did call her, but then ultimately he didn't push for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, what's he doing? Yeah, it seems like he's maybe fucking with Shiv and maybe that is his his, his ambition right now. Yeah, we, we know he's very vindictive. Like, it's fully possible that his only goal is just like, yeah, I'm going to fuck with Shiv, like, just for fun. Yeah, but it'll be interesting how that dynamic is. Well, the next thing that happens and then, you know, it'll, it'll come into it is that uh, Roman calls Shiv to gloat. And after Shiv hangs up, she says, you know what, change of plan. And her car turns seeming to indicate that that she's coming over to the to the ken side yeah that was the that was the implication i got from that definitely yeah we we do know that they talk to each other seemingly very soon after this happens based on what they released from the trailer because she is wearing the same outfit that she's wearing in this episode in one of the scenes with her and kendall in the trailer oh there you go i think it's interesting i mean going back to what we were talking about just now the um to see like how the Tom Shiv dynamic continues to shift as they are now on opposite sides of this duel. Mm -hmm. Very, they're set up as opposites, I think, more than anyone else in this episode. I, I mean, like, you know, Kendall and Logan, obviously, but like that specific scene when they are walking in opposite directions on the tarmac was so calculated. I mean, like I said, I definitely think that, uh, Tom is maybe 
I, I think Thomas may be working against Shiv in a way that Shiv has not assessed yet. Shiv hasn't thought about the fact that Tom might 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 be working against her, might, you know, want her to fail. And I think that's something that it could also come back to bite her in a way. Shiv's in an interesting place. In this. I mean, you know, everyone has has their their power balances with everyone else, but Shiv's in all these positions where she thinks she's got it and she doesn't. Yes. Because, you know, she she is she is daddy's favorite, but she's right. not daddy's business favorite. And she doesn't necessarily seem to realize that that's not a guarantee, even though it's already been taken a couple of times. And like, you know, her and Tom, I mean, like visually, they're always together on screen. Like if both of them are in the same place, they are always within about a foot of each other. You know, usually there's some sort of physical interaction and like, She's very on her own, I think, for the first time in a long time. And and she seems to be turning to Ken right away, which uh, which is interesting in a number of ways. But just that, like, you know, what's her motivation at the beginning of the episode to say that right now we need to support dad? And at the end of the episode, once she falls out of his good graces to say, fuck it, I'm going with Ken. Yeah. <laughs> And Ken is anticipating that's going to happen too. In the meeting with Lisa, he says uh, that 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 might work out anyway with with Shiv. So, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. But that's the next scene, actually. That uh, Ken is meeting with Lisa. Also uh, brings Naomi up. Uh, <laughs> comments on the on the male razors, quote unquote, in <laughs> in Rafa's bathroom. <laughs> one of the most insane Kendall lines of all time of Rava saying I buy male razors because they're cheaper and him saying what I don't give you enough money for gender appropriate razors (laughs) yeah it's a great thing where like you know Ken is so on fire for most of this episode and it's funny how like he's still steamrolling but as the episode goes on you see more and more that like like, he's got problems (laughs) like he is technically the baddest bitch in the entire world right now in terms of business and yet he is also the most annoying Kendall has ever been absolutely (laughs) cringe (laughs) fail at every turn and I could see that I I feel like that's kind of the case like obviously Roman's whole thing is being cringe but I, I feel like it could be the case with any of them where like the more in control they are the more annoying they are Oh, yeah. I mean, Shiv does the exact same thing. Like you said, Roman does it. It's they're they're the most palatable when they're at their lowest. Absolutely. And then uh, Greg uh, opens up a bottle of wine from from Rava's cabinet at Naomi's request. Uh, Feels like there's feels like there's going to be a lot of a lot of that (laughs) from, from this end of the of the camp here. A uncomfortable comedy of errors in that 30 second scene. And Rava says something like, uh, it, you know, uh, uh, when you break something you love and it reminds you that nothing lasts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just, man, oh man. That, that's really great. And it's such a, they're they're so small scale those moments you know everything rava's apartment is sort of a whole new world for this show because she's she's normal and she lives lives kind of a normal life and so just just i i love the idea of this of this you know kind of greek drama coming into the world of just like you know uh 
a bottle of wine in, <laughs> in, the, in the cabinet that you weren't supposed to open. Yeah. You know? it, it's even like um, there's like this little exchange, I think, right before Lisa gets there uh, where like Kendall turns to Rava and is like, oh, yeah, don't worry. It's just going to be another like four or five hours. It's nothing. And it's like, <laughs> that's a huge amount of time. Like you're taking up this poor woman's living room. And like to Kendall, it's like nothing. It's like, yeah, this is how these things always go. And it's like, well, yeah, but not for Rava. Meanwhile, in Logan's neck of the woods, they cannot get a hold of Shiv. She's not picking up her phone. Uh, the news of Jerry being CEO seems to have leaked. Uh, Ken is calling Logan to let him know that Lisa Arthur is officially representing him. Um, and th- that that's when Logan resolves to get Leo and just go full fucking beast mode, I believe he says. And then he storms out of the hotel into the streets of Sarajevo and looks around sort of lost and uncertain. End of episode. I really thought he was about to get hit by a car at that end of, end of that episode. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's such a bizarre scene. Um, great place to end it, like on that moment of tension that he's having. But like, oh my god, I fully thought a bus was gonna come and hit him or something. Yeah, it, it, it felt like a moment where I definitely, I mean, I think it's a really potent, uh, j- just way of ending it in terms of like Logan s- seeming to again seeming like f- feeling like maybe he just made a bad move. Maybe things really are coming apart now, and he doesn't know what his next move is. I love, I love the way that he looks around at the end. It felt like this could have been a moment where he got hit by a car. We hear a car coming, and I was like, "Oh, that's what's going to happen," and then it, it you know, passes. Mm-hmm. But um, this also could have been a moment where bringing that uh, that dementia, that mental deterioration, yeah. back into it could have been a thing. You know, he's like 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 that tended to happen a lot in season one, where he would like whenever he'd be on his own, he uh, he'd kind of wander off a little and sort sort of lose a sense of where yeah. he is. It felt like that could have been what was happening there. I don't. I don't think that's what it was. But they, you know, it. It felt like that could have been a way to the end the episode too. Yeah, I. I wouldn't be surprised if that came up as they have this kind of indefinite stay in Saravejo, Um, especially because it, it's this really, really small moment in season two when they're when they're in England um, to track down shareholders. And Ken goes to, like, wake up Logan when the news about the the boy's accident happens. And, like, Logan just says, where the fuck am I? Like, he has no clue where he is um, because he, like, woke up in an unfamiliar bedroom and, like, has memory issues. And it's, like, cuts away and they don't bring it up again later in the episode. But, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it came up in this context. Maybe so. Maybe so. It's something that, again, I felt felt weird about how the show sort of moved away from that. And um, maybe it will return in some form mm-hmm. so now that we've gone through the episode um i don't know do we have any overall thoughts uh you know i think it's it's always a thing especially when there's a really long break between seasons um and especially when a show has a big following in in that break um but i think i was definitely a little wary going into this premiere um of whether it could mm-hmm. live up to the hype that i had created but also like the hype around the show um but i don't know this was one of the most enjoyable episodes of television i've watched in a very long time i think it had Mm. a really sharp balance between comedy and like the underlying drama of the show i think this season three opener definitely far more leaning into the comedy than the season two opener 
um mm. and i think a lot of season two but yeah i i think it's really uh jumped out to me a lot in this conversation how many different ways this season could go and i'm yeah. really it's it's a really good feeling to not know i think yes but yeah i'm very high on this episode <laughs> It's fun. It's fun to speculate. It's fun to imagine. The stakes are higher than ever before. And it definitely feels like there were definitely moments of binging the show over the summer where I was like watching each episode and I was feeling like we are it it felt like the stakes weren't high enough. It felt like, you know, I was I was waiting for something more dramatic to happen in terms of this power play. And um the 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 first season felt like table setting in a lot of ways. The second season things really did kick into high gear in a lot of ways. But um I this it feels like the stakes are where they ought to be for this show. And like I said, it feels like the game is really, is really kicking off now. Um, I, I guess it's kind of similar, the, the, this show coming back, it's similar to my thoughts on uh, Mitski coming back. Interesting. After, you know, she obviously, her last album was 2018. And I think about the sort of fan base that she developed in, in these past three years of her being absent where you know obviously i i was familiar with her in the lead up to be the cowboy before be the cowboy from from uh, puberty too but um i i was seeing as the be the cowboy rollout was happening how like an, an increasing younger uh so, so sort of hip audience was getting was getting into her and it's definitely sort of exploded in this tiktok era in those years where Mitski had not put out anything and was just developing kind of a cult of personality without saying or doing anything. And so I really wondered about how Mitski could live up to those expectations that were never there before. I mean, she had this expectation of, you know, Iggy Pop calling her the greatest living songwriter and, you know, <laughs> the, like, 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 be, like these huge commercial, ex these are critical expectations rather, but now having that kind of like fandom around her that she didn't have the last time she put out an album like i you know i really wondered about how she was she would handle that and i, th I think she handled it very well um and i think succession handled it very well yeah. too this this to me was very tonally in line with the show so far and also feels like a strong escalation into like what i want to see from the show what i feel like a lot of people want to see from the show in terms of like you know, having that comedy, having those high stakes and having that high drama as well. And um, yeah, a lot of layers to this one. Yeah, I think there, I can't remember where I read this, but it was some interview with some portion of the writers team where they were talking about how like, when the show first started, they're like, yeah, kind of no one was paying attention. So we just like did whatever we wanted. Because um, <laughs> they could get away with a lot. Um, and like, you know, as the audience grew and stuff, they became more aware of it. But I think they also were very consciously trying to not lean into like trying to do what people wanted to see and like having faith yeah. in their method. Um, and I think it really paid off. Like, I think I, I was there was not really any part of this episode that I think I guessed going into it. I mean, like the overall thing of like, okay, like Kendall's going to be on the side with Greg and like Logan's going to have to figure out what to do with that and all the family members. But like, you know, even the way it split with like who ended up going back to New York and who stayed in Europe um, was really interesting. And I think as a team, I think the show is very confident in its ability um, mm -hmm. and confident in like uh, the audience without ever leaning too far into like 
I don't know if fan service is the right word in this context, but expectations kind of. Yeah. And I, I, I think the season two finale was a really great place to build on that just because it was a moment that things had been brewing the whole season, but it was a moment that really came out of nowhere and like blew the whole thing open such that, you know, anything that had been building in terms of like the power plays up to that point, it was now like, no one really knew what was going to happen. Yeah. And I, I, I feel like that was a really good place to set up to come back and do something, you know, really exciting and different and, I, I, I don't think there was too much in this episode that I expected, but I also think that whatever they did would have been pretty unexpected because the way the last season ended is such a such a game changer. Mm-hmm. And I and I also, I mean, I, I think it speaks to how they're sort of not trying to do fan service and trying to be true to the, the show that, you, you know, you can look at any interview that they do with the cast or anyone and they'll always talk about Tom and Greg. And then for them to purposefully separate Tom and Greg uh, I mean really at the end of the last season but have them not interact at all in this episode like it's you know that could have been a a thing to say like okay we're coming back we have to have our Tom and Greg moment but they didn't do that and I think that um, they're being very deliberate about about how they place things out and like you said they're not they're not doing it all just to appease the fans and I think they struck a good balance coming out of the gate here yeah I think very well said Sam, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed this immensely. This has been really interesting and uh, I've learned a lot. Um, And uh, you're welcome back anytime, of course. Thank you to the people at home for listening and uh, we will see you next week. I will see you next week. Yeah, thank you again. I disagree, Gary. I disagree, Gary.